The first gift uh, that parents give their children when they enter the world is a name. And some parents choose a name that has a nice ring to it, goes well maybe with the last name, or to honor a family member or an, or an ancestor. And then there are others who choose a name, well, you kind of wonder <laughs> why they would choose a particular name. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, certain celebrities. I don't know, celebrities uh, seem to want to outdo one another in coming up with creative children's names. It's been a rising trend ever since uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin named their daughter Apple. They did give their son the good biblical name Moses, however. But, of course, even before uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, you know, uh, celebrities have been quite creative, uh, especially in the 60s and the 70s, of course. Uh, Frank Zappa, free spirit that he was, musician and composer, named his kids Moon Unit, Dweezel, and Diva Thin Muffin. <laughs> I had to look them up uh, <laughs> to see how they were doing, those kids. <laughs> and they're actually, they're all uh, at least successful professionally in music or in film or whatever. But Diva Thin Muffin? <laughs> you want the name Diva in the field of music? I don't, I don't know. Uh, more recently, uh, celebrity chef Jamie Oliver and his wife Juliet Norton named their kids Poppy Honey Rosie. That's one name. Poppy Honey Rosie, Daisy Boo Pamela, Buddy Bear, and Petal Blossom Rainbow. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian West named their firstborn North. Imagine, what's your name? Northwest. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't ask you for directions. What is your name? Northwest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Poor child has, has to live with that. Um, they also named her kids Saint. Tough name to live up to. Chicago. And interestingly, Psalm, as in the book of Psalms. Beyonce and, and Jay-Z named their daughter Blue Ivy. Well, and so it goes, you know, on and on. Uh, we've all seen some very unusual names. Names are a big deal because they, uh, they affect how other people perceive you and how you perceive yourself. It uh, colors your personality and shapes your identity in, in various ways. Research shows that certain names can set you up to be more successful in life. Polls have shown that classmates, teachers, and job recruiters tend to judge individuals positively or negatively based on their names. And individuals tend to either uh, live up or live down to their names. 
a girl named Temptress was charged with lewd, unruly behavior, including bringing men into her home while her mother was at work. The mother said that she did not know what temptress meant when she named her daughter. That's a true story, by the way. <laughs> now, names are extremely significant in the Bible. Names are often prophetic or descriptive. They re reveal a certain uh, characteristic about personality. Uh, they reveal certain things about who the person is or who they will become. So, in the book of 1 Samuel, for example, there's a fellow with the name of Nabal, which in Hebrew means failure or fool. Can you imagine naming your kid failure? <laughs> oh. Turns out he was, actually. In the same book, we find a guy by the name of Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. I suggest that that name be crossed off all baby lists, baby name lists. And then in the Old Testament, we find a, a guy by the name of Jabez. Maybe you've heard about Jabez. Jabez in Hebrew means pain. Can you imagine being called pain in the neck all your life? What were his parents thinking? But times were different back then. This morning, we, uh, we again meet a major character in the Old Testament whose name was Jacob. And that name means, means supplanter or, or heel grabber. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Jacob is a perfectly fine name. And certainly one of the most popular baby names today. There's nothing wrong with that name. It's beautiful. If you have the name Jacob or a kid named Jacob, that's, that's great. Because as I say, uh, names today just don't have the same significance as in biblical days. So that name, Jacob, meaning supplanter or heel grabber, actually fit Jacob very well. For Jacob was grabbing his older twin brother Esau's heel when he was born. I mean, even in the womb together. And it turns out he lived up, or rather he lived down to that name because Jacob was a grabber, a conniver, a trickster, a usurper, a supplanter. He always wanted to get the upper hand over others, particularly against his brother. Now, there was an occasion when both young men, they were young men, they were living at home. Esau had been working out in the fields, and he came home, and his brother Jacob was cooking in the kitchen, and uh, uh, he was making a pot of stew. And so Esau came in, and he was famished. And so he walked inside the kitchen area, he smelled the aroma, saw the food, and he asked Jacob for some of it. And Jacob responded by suggesting a trade. He would give Esau a bowl of his delicious stew if Esau would give him his birthright. 
Now the birthright was the entitlement that belonged to the firstborn son. You know, it was a position, uh, it was a position of authority in the family. It, it carried property rights, financial advantages. So that Jacob's proposition to trade a birthright for a bowl of stew or a mess of pottage in the old vernacular, to give up a future inheritance for a lunch was absolutely ridiculous. Only a fool would agree to such a preposterous deal. But Esau was not the sharpest tool in the shed, as they say. And so Esau, in a response that no doubt seemed clever to him, said to Jacob, what good will my birthright do me if I die of starvation right now? And so we are told rather ominously, thus Esau despised his birthright. So that Jacob took advantage of his brother's stupidity and dimness, cheating him out of what was rightfully his, and later on he was to cheat Esau out of his father's blessing as well. But all of his conniving and his cheating and his heel-grabbing made him a target for his brother's wrath. And he found himself on the run, finally escaping to take up residence in a distant land with his uncle Laban. Some 20 years later, by this time Jacob had a family, and he desperately wanted to go home. So he began to move his family and all his stuff. He camped along the Jabbok River and found out that his brother Esau was nearby with 400 men. Last time he saw Esau, Esau had promised to kill him. So, of course, Jacob knew he was in big trouble. And so panic began to set in, and uh, as we pick up the story in Genesis 32, Jacob was engaged in a bit of soul-searching, wrestling with his thoughts and feelings. He was alone. He was anxious and afraid. No amount of conniving or manipulation could save him this time. He lost his self-confidence. Perhaps feelings of guilt had begun to creep over him as he thought about the person that he had become. But then the strangest thing happened. And so we read. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, 
What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. It's a strange story, isn't it? Jacob was alone, wrestling with his own thoughts and feelings in a state of personal crisis only to find himself in an all-night wrestling match with another. His wrestling opponent was not a grizzly bear or a ferocious lion or some other wild animal, but a mystery man. No name was given. There was no description of him. He just appeared. Perhaps he was an angel. Jacob later identified him as God himself. The two battled through the night to a standstill, and as dawn broke, the mystery man struck Jacob's hip, knocking it out of joint. But Jacob was no pushover during the match. He grabbed the man and refused to let go until the man blessed him. But before the mystery man could bestow his blessing, Jacob had to answer the man's question. What is your name? He didn't like that question. In answering that question, Jacob had to face up to the person that he had become. He had to give voice to it. He had to confess it. He had to admit it. My name is Jacob, heel grabber, supplanter. With radical honesty, he was declaring that he was indeed a heel grabber, a cheater, a conniver. Before he could receive the blessing, he had to honestly come to grips with the true condition of his heart. And he had been living as Jacob all his life to this point. And then the man gave him his blessing, which was the blessing of a new name. You will no longer be called Jacob, heel grabber. But from now on, you will be called Israel, which means one who strives with God, one who struggles with God. Now, this strange encounter with God is really a conversion story. For you see, up to this point, Jacob really had been full of himself. He knew he was the bearer of God's promises, but all along he relied solely upon his own cleverness and charm to get ahead. 
It was all about relying upon his own personal resources. All Jacob seemed to care about was Jacob and his own ability to be number one. So God had to humble this man. He had to throw his hip out of joint, breaking Jacob's overgrown ego and his selfish pride. So that Jacob came away from this encounter with a limp, a perpetual reminder of his need to get his own ego out of the way and depend on God. But he came away from that encounter with God with more than just a limp. But he was a changed man signified by the change of name. No longer was he heel grabber. No longer did he feel the need to cheat or connive or manipulate to achieve his own ends. But from now on, he would be grabbing after God and God's purposes, seeking God's blessings. He was a man now after God's own heart. Now, God asks you and me the same question that He asked Jacob. What is your name? Of course, we all have given names, you know, names that are found on our birth certificates, and some of us have nicknames. But in asking us this question, God is really asking us to assess the true condition of our heart. Who have we been? What have we become? What are we becoming? So that like Jacob, he asks us to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. So to that question, what is your name, we may well confess. I am the broken one, the lost one, the fragile one, the fearful one, or the needy one, or the guilty one, or the sinful one, the unworthy one or the self-centered one. Before God can bless us with a new name, we have to come to grips with our old name, our old identity, the true condition of our heart apart from God, the aspect of our old nature that has been shaping us and determining the true course of our lives. And sometimes, like Jacob, it takes some personal crisis to realize that the way we have been living is just not sufficient. We may have to come to the end of our rope. Perhaps, like Jacob, we have just been too full of ourselves, leaving no room for God, only to find out that living for ourselves just hasn't gotten us anywhere. We know we need a change of heart and mind. We need to become new people. The vendor that came into the church the other day, and he said, you know, I'm trying to get reconnected with God because I feel that the way I've been living my life just isn't amounting to anything. Man, I need a meaning, he says. I need, a, I need hope. 
and uh, and we were able to have a talk about that. But he felt that spiritual need that he wasn't liking the person that he had become and was becoming. He needed a change in his life. And thank the Lord, it was obvious to me that the Holy Spirit was working in his life. Who will promise to give him a new identity, a new meaning, a new hope, a new direction? This is the good news. We can, be, we can change. We can become new and different people. The gospel is all about life transformation. And if our life is not being transformed into the likeness of Christ, then there is something wrong with the way we've been living. We can become new and different people if we confess our need and turn to God in faith and trust, giving our lives over to Him, allowing Him to rule over us. God promises to give us a new name, a new identity. God is in the name-changing business because God is in the life-changing business. And God meets us right where we are. He accepts us as we are, but He cares too much to leave us there. He changes us by blessing us with a new name, and He gives us a new identity. As the Apostle Paul put it, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a brand new person. The old life is gone, the new has come. And that is good news. We don't have to be defined by our past or by the way that uh, the empty way we're living right now, but we can live into a new identity, a new name, experience true transformation of life. In October of uh, 2011, the Associated Press ran a very deeply moving story about a name-changing ceremony for girls in Mumbai, India. At birth, the 285 girls had been named Nakusa or Nakushi, which means unwanted in the primary Indian language of Hindi. The name unwanted is widely given to girls across India where families often value sons far more than daughters. As a result, female babies have been aborted or neglected at an alarming rate. But the renaming ceremony was an attempt to give the girls a new identity. And so the article reported, the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair, lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets. Some of the girls chose new names that mean prosperous, beautiful, good, or even very tough. One girl who had been named Nakusa by her grandfather, who was disappointed in her birth, said, 
Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name, and that makes me very happy. If we belong to Jesus, we have a new name. Each of us has a divinely bestowed identity. From now on, you and I are the beloved one, the forgiven one, the hopeful one, the courageous one, the confident one, the healed one. And when it comes right down to it, perhaps the greatest honor that God has ever paid us is giving us the name Child of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Isn't that true above everything else? Our name is child of God. Let us live into that new identity. We bear the Father's name. As a child of God, we are not only infinitely valued, but we also have a reputation to uphold. So let us live out that identity and live as children of God, that others may see God in us. Know that there's some family resemblance. So, like Jacob, grabber. Hold on to God for dear life. Grab God. Strive to know Him and to walk with Him and seek His blessings always. And He will change your life for the better to the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us to live into this new identity, this new name. To think that you have made us children of God through Christ. Thank you, Lord, for valuing us so much, for lavishing your love upon us. Help us to live true to that name. Indeed, to you be all praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.